Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Byron Bay, Australia in September 2017. It's called, Free Your Loved Ones of Worry About You. I also wanted to mention that we would really appreciate your support of these podcasts. We offer them for free, but they're not free to produce and broadcast. So if you're a regular listener, please consider making a one-time donation or a recurring donation. If you can afford even the equivalent of a cup of coffee per episode, it would help. Of course, you're welcome to listen in whether you can afford to donate or not. This morning, I was on the phone with my mother, who lives on the 11th floor of a building. She lives in a condo by herself. She's 87 years old, in a building on the southern coast of Florida, which is about to be hit by one of the largest hurricanes uh, in the history of that region. In a couple of days, it's do in that area and so we were talking about all her options and her preparedness of course the uh, local governments are insisting that people evacuate but my mother and her friends are not going to Um, she feels that that's just as dangerous or more so to be out on the road when you're 87 years old (laughs) (laughs) and she was amazingly sanguine about the situation um, just what to do kind of and there was this moment it was late afternoon for her and there was this moment where she in an uncharacteristically wistful way said the ocean is so still it's like glass she's looking out at a vast expanse of ocean from where her balcony is. She said, it's like a sea of glass. And, and she said, and the sky just seems also so, so still, there's hardly a cloud. I said, well, Mom, I think that's called the calm before the storm. <laughs> and, um, but then I went with it. You know, I realized why I put that into the equation. And I said, it sounds very beautiful. And she said, it is really beautiful. And we had this moment of just silence together. Uh, Of course, in the context of being present with the beautiful stillness that she's experiencing. And of course, all the while, the awareness of what is about to happen so her bathtub is filled with water and she's purchased a lot of drinking water and has candles and lots of batteries and so on and so forth food that doesn't require refrigeration and all of those things and she's she's pretty relaxed and I hung up the phone and reflected how how much more at ease I felt uh, 
knowing how relaxed she is, how she's not in panic. Now, if she were, if she were in panic, I would be thrown into, naturally, a feeling of what can I do, a kind of worry, a kind of feeling of I should have been there, I should try to get there, (laughs) all kinds of crazy thoughts. But what she transmitted in this conversation was ease. And it's not the first time I've reflected on how wonderful it is to offer ease to your people about your own life, right? I've said many times that in that kind of uh, simplicity of being in your own steadiness, what happens for other people who love you is that on their list of worries, your name doesn't appear, right? You're not on the list of worries. Now, of course, I do have concern for my mother and her friends. Um, but what I don't have is, is a sense of her being in panic and being in high distress, So we tune our awareness not only for our own benefit and for our own, our own well-being and ease and joy and all the great things that come with it, but also for those who love us. It's, it serves as a kind of modeling. It's a kind of... Um, example of possibility and it also allows them to feel that at least in this one part of their life there's some sort of um, encouragement (laughs) anyway it just came to me to speak about this fresh Fresh in the awareness. So, as you know, I've got a son who, over the years, has been in bouts of turmoil, and um, and I'm always his rock. He knows that he can call me, and that. I have a listening ear and an open heart and unconditional love for him. And what you just said, I I know is, yeah, I'm not on his list of worries. I'm on his list of rock. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, but what I also realize that um, I give him in that is uh, my trust in him that he is okay yes yes that's really important too that that you're a place perhaps and this is another i think something that comes when you sit solidly in your own beingness you can see that shining in people even if they're a little unsteady you can still see it and and to the degree you can see it 
they can sense that you're seeing the part of them that's sane and okay. And so you're transmitting their okayness back to them. Exactly. That's the part I talk to when I talk to him. Yes, Yes. exactly. Right. Yeah. I often have have the sense here in this circumstance in which we have Dharma dialogues, I... I tend to assume that I'm going to speak to Buddha nature. Right? That's the assumption. And it's... I know for myself, at times when I have felt crazy, and if I'm with someone who I know really understands me, and is basically, you know, speaking to that which is sane, it... <laughs> it it calls out the the sanity, you know. It calls it calls out that which is fine. Yeah. I'm just just appreciating like this moment of being able just to sink in and be quiet and calm this crazy animal, mm. and also just really realizing how. Um, you know, it's it's the same one, all these different voices that are, you know, that we talk to ourselves with to calm ourselves or to fire ourselves up. I mean, they're always, it's the same voice that's kind of setting all these impossible tasks and then trying to calm yourself through it. And then, and it's like, I, like, what is the cheese at the end, you know? <laughs> it's like, what is that? <laughs> it feels like um, you know I'm setting myself so many impossible tasks just to be able to to mm. do it all mm. and coaching myself through it and you know picking myself up and yeah, you got this you can do this and it's like actually what am I doing it for again you know yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, we yeah. kind of coach ourselves through, um, and in a way that kind of shows that we've got it together, right? But <laughs> well, at least that's the way I talk to myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I guess the question would be: but the be, question really is, it's like, so what is you know? Well, what is the driver? What's what is driver? the motivating driver mm-hmm. for the whole entire production? Exactly. And that's the one to kind of come to terms with because that one, it can be this subliminal thrusting motion going on inside of oneself that, you know, is basically is basically the voice behind the voice. It's like, you know, the, the voice you're describing is the one that is in production and gets all the job done. It's the other voice, the, the, the silent partner, <laughs> you know, which is <clears throat> the driver, which might have to do with, you know, in many cases for people, it's ultimately it's... it's thinking that that's how they're going to get love. Mm. You know, whether it's, you know, people who are trying to make billions of dollars, you know, and they want, all, they want to have all this stuff, but ultimately, probably, bottom line, what they really want is to be loved. 
And that's often the driver for people. Um, Self-esteem is a big driver, you know, kind of. But in a way, that's also connected to wanting to be loved, you know. But I often remember the, the metaphor that Papaji used about, you know, it's like the policeman dressing up as the thief to... Ch- I mean, sorry, the thief dressing up as the policeman to chase the thief. You know, just, just to keep that story going. Right. Just to keep it in perpetuity. Yes. But it's just in these moments where you can just really, like, go to silence, mm. where you see how that whole thing, you know, that operates. whole thing is basically just perpetuating itself. I had this sense when we were sitting, we both had mentioned on the way here, Marianne and I were talking about... Uh, she was telling me about a story with a cyclone and the, and the people who were actually experiencing the eye of the cyclone. And But as we were sitting here, I was sensing like being in the eye of a hurricane mm-hmm. or the eye of a storm, but like a worldwide storm, mm-hmm. you know, which feels sort of like the things that the, the earth is just, you know, there's a certain way that it is storming in a lot of places and and I was sensing just the quiet that one can tune into as a kind of eye of the storm you know um, and that's often the case in busy lives you know that you have to you have to be the eye of the storm just to keep functioning but my recommendation always is to Avoid the storm. <laughs> right. How about just stay in the calm before the storm? Yeah, stay in the calm before the storm or, or just get out of the way of the storm or don't enter into the storm. Um, you know, just um, to really make that a priority and to really to know that that is the way of health and the way of... And also it's... It allows you to then be operating at your highest capacity, whereby then your actions become very, very um, efficient. You know, there becomes this comes this great efficacy with everything you do because you've got this clarity and calm, and you're not worn out. You know, and so that's, those are the ways that you have to look at the underlying drivers that are kind of keeping the whole thing in motion, even though that's not healthy. And, you know, it's... I mean, some, some systems can handle more than others. Um, and I think your system can handle a lot. I guess I'm just trying to see how far it can go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do no. that. No, no. No, I would recommend not. No. You know, why push it to the collapse point? Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people do, of course. You know, I think a lot of people get ill um, because the, their silent driver has been running the show and they're basically a slave to it. So there's there's a... Very, um, uh, there's a lot of evidence now. There's a lot of evidence in sort of the healing world um, looking at these matters. There's a, there's a book called Radical Remission. Do you know it? She, um, her name is, the author is Kelly Turner. 
I actually met her on a bus before this book was published. Um, I met her on a bus in New York. I just instantly gravitated to her and sat next to her. And we had this incredible conversation. And she was working on her thesis for this book. So the thesis was um, she interviewed more than a thousand people around the world who had had basically totally uh, radical remissions from um, terminal illnesses. The, the, The illness disappeared. And no one, to her knowledge at the time, had ever done a proper scientific study in interviewing all those people um, as to how do, why do you think this happened? What did you do? And she identified nine consistent factors um, that people over and over and over again she heard in these stories of radical remissions these are people who some had been through conventional treatments some had done conventional and alternative some only alternative etc but anyway the the illness had progressed and had gotten to the point of terminal when they had these these turnarounds anyway um she published this book, and it became a New York Times bestseller, and now it's, it's this whole huge sort of movement in, centered around her work. Um, but some of the points, of course, in the, in the book, certainly some have to do with physical things like diet and exercise and things like that. But a lot of them have to do with what you might call these spiritual and psychological realms and have to do with really deeply listening to your intuition. Like that, that seems to be a very consistent one about illness and about healing, like really listening. Because a lot of these people basically had to listen to their own inner voices about that, even though the medical system was telling them something else. Um, And also being really authentic, like living in your deeper truths and and not in some sort of suppression of oneself. I thought that was really interesting. Um, And really tuning into joy a lot. She was saying that five minutes a day of feeling joy helps bump up your immune system. And her whole premise, according to all the, uh, now a lot of the medical research that's starting to come in in support of her work, is that it's basically your own immune system that's going to radically cause a remission. That is, your own immune system kicks in and cleans up the cancer, right? So, um, what I would say to you is that I feel that your own intuition is sending you messages, right? And you just have to start listening, like seriously, you know, as we all do. I'm not singling you out in this, but um, I I ignored in my in my own case for years and years and years, you know, 
and I didn't end up in any kind of big illness, but um, but I certainly know how the system felt like it was getting weakened, you know. So it's another part of awakened awareness is that you have a fine tuning to your physical system and to your psychological system. And you know when you're starting to get tired. Yeah, I really noticed that I think yesterday morning when I woke up and just in this, as the whole world kind of comes together, it's like you wake up and everything starts coming into place. To do list. Are, what's going on and what you're dealing with. It's like, okay. And as that was all coming together, there was some part of me that was looking for that, that voice that says, yeah, okay, got this. And it wasn't coming. And I was like, then it came. I was like, yeah, okay, I got this. I was like, oh my God, what if that voice doesn't come? You know, it's like, what happens when that one doesn't come up? It's like, that one's really important to this whole system. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, of course, you know, you do have um, responsibilities as a a mother and, and in a job and so on. And so... Yes, you can, you can have this most of the time, um, but I would just say, you know, plug in a lot of caretaking for you and a lot of quiet and calm and unscheduled time. I think that's the number one for you. The number one prescription is unscheduled time whereby you can actually just really do nothing much and, or just do whatever you feel like doing in the moment you know, without having to be somewhere where it's already laid out and then the next thing and the next thing, you know. And I know for mothers, it's definitely a challenge. You know, you don't really, there isn't a whole lot of extra time of your own. But whatever there is, I would say, you know, guard it, you know. (laughs) Really protect it. Yeah, one has to be able to really just tune in even in the midst of that flow, you know, and just go to quiet, whatever it is that's happening. And sometimes it's just a matter of just stepping outside and just listening to what's going on. Absolutely. It's amazing when you just step out for a moment, whatever it is that's going on in the office and the conversations and everything is like so important and so busy and you step outside and there's just like these few little tweets in the trees yes absolutely you know and you go oh wow it's like there's nothing out of hurry here right (laughs) yeah you know we're very we're very lucky to be living in nature as we do here and so that you can always it's always you know quite clear in terms of its transmission of of a certain type of beingness and intelligence. Now, of course, nature can get wild as well as we're seeing on the globe. Um, but in so far as we live in this rather gentle environment, we can always, you know, it's like a, you know, a, a meditation is being broadcast everywhere we go. <laughs> a big tuning fork. Yeah, it is a big tuning fork, exactly. <laughs> and just to look at the sky and the, the ocean and hear the birds and... Yeah, the rustle in the trees, you know, it's just such soothing sounds. It turns out that soothing sounds of nature, even if they're played on like a a digital device, 
are actually uh, are actually good for your immune system. Another another recent medical discovery is that it should there's a certain calming of everything and a bump up of the immune system in if you're listening to or hearing nature a lot. So yeah, it's all the ways that one is keeping this instrument tuned, right? And wanting to, then it makes better music, you know? It, you want to do that as an offering. More and more you're just giving it as an offering, you know? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I've got a lot of coincidences going on lately in my life, and I don't think that they're coincidences. Uh, anyway, um... Uh, yeah. I, I'm not believing in coincidences at the moment. <laughs> I'm very overwhelmed with my... Uh, I've got a sensual overload going on lately. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, all the people in my life's names and just coincidences is overwhelming me with. <laughs> hmm. I can't put the puzzle pieces together and... I can't add up a correct sum to the equation of my life. <laughs> yeah. So you're finding a lot of synchronicities of different situations. Oh, yeah, and... to the point of insanity. Uh-huh. Which is... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm, makes me really question what mm. this is. To the point of insanity, where I just question and over question and analyze every single thing. Mm. Well, one thing that it's important to understand about so called coincidences is they can only really be measured against the amount of incidents. Are you following me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, in a day, you, you might have who knows how many thousands of thoughts, how many. Thousands of moments mm-hmm. of this and that. So there are sometimes intersecting situations that we call coincidences. Yes. But they're only intersecting. Their number is usually a minuscule number compared to the incidents. So a lot of times what, what, what we do with our brains is we have a tendency to confirmation bias. And we then look for patterns. That has been really helpful for us evolutionarily. We look for patterns. And we tend to... uh, We tend to emphasize when we find a pattern. It gets higher emphasis. And things called, like, coincidence get a lot of weight on them. Whereas we don't notice so much all the times of the moments of the day when there is no coincidence. Yeah, except for me personally lately, they've all been very significant incidences of coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, I just believe... What's meant to be will 
what's meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Got a lot more questions than I have answers. I guess it's part of of life. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that it keeps going in that direction. (laughs) You know, even the one, even at times you thought you had answers to some of the questions. Yeah. And even those answers fall away in in time. Mm -hmm. One is left more and more in the mystery. And everything you thought you knew gets revised. (laughs) Right? And gets freshened up. And which is great. Yeah. You know? We, it's it's a great it's a great understanding it's a great place to sit in the in the mystery of this right so you may be sensing that even though i haven't spoken much but that my inclination is very very practical and has to do with how you use your attention mm. to Basically, you have your own experience of this life. You make your own experiments in this life. Yes, I've had many, many, many coincidences in my, in my life. Yeah. As you can imagine, given my age, I've had many, many extraordinary coincidences. Um, and at this point, I just see them as simply that. With nothing yeah. extra, no. no magical anything, no other other meaning than what I give it. Um, so it's really stripped down into truly direct experience without any laying on of anything extra. And then you're l- really looking at everything from this kind of point of clarity. Yeah. Right. You don't. You don't have any. <clears throat> need for other types of interpretation. But that's not to say that I didn't used to when I was younger. I would make a big deal about various kinds of coincidence. I would think it meant some kind of other kind of power or supernatural thing, slightly. Yeah. It is what you make it, I guess. um, Another thing I was reading a lot about yesterday for some reason, was butterfly effect. Yeah. Because of, yeah, yeah. playing out scenarios in my mind and different decisions I've made. Yeah, that's a good way to apply that particular metaphor. It's otherwise been greatly debunked. But Except I was told that no matter what, it would always be the same. So. What do you mean by that? Uh, I was told that. Even if I had made a different decision, I would have still been on this path. I would have been in this place. And well, it's something that couldn't possibly be known by anyone. Yeah. Right, so... Well, I guess that's the opposite <laughs> to that theory then. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. More of destiny sort of a, a p- opinion the person I was talking to about that right. had. Right, yes, <laughs> yes, which we can't know. Yeah. Maybe it's true, but no one could know it. That that free will and destiny debate has been going on in philosophical circles for centuries. Where we just again, it's in the mis- mystery category. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what 
I recommend, and of course it's just an offering not to be, uh, I'm not assuming that it's the, the way to go, yep. but um, again, is to strip it down to your really honest, direct experience such that when you speak, you're really just speaking as simply as telling someone how to get to the post office, right? Through through the fact that you've been there many, many times. So you start to come from that level of speaking from what you really know, really know in your heart of hearts. And I know it's tempting to take on teachings and yes. spiritual ideas and, you know, believe me, I, t- I took them on myself mm-hmm. for years, you know. Um, but I can just tell you from the, on the other side of it, letting go of anything that has been imposed by some belief system is really where the freedom is and also where the insight and your own genius starts to arise. How did you learn to think or have thought? Well, how? Yeah. let's ask the question slightly differently because yeah. obviously I was born with a brain and one <laughs> starts thinking at a pretty young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, another way to ask that question is how did it happen that, I would, that my, my thinking became more free? And that was a process of elimination, of seeing, seeing through things that I would have to look at and say, actually, I don't really know this. I told, I just got interviewed uh, recently, just this last week, um, for this thing called the Seekers Forum, and the particular subject was on magical thinking. So my friend interviewed me, knowing that I would have a lot of thoughts on the matter. Yeah. And, um, and I told this story, uh, true story, which I'll share with you, might be relevant for you. I started spiritual seeking when I was about 12. And when I became, uh, by the time I was 17 or 18, in that range, 17, 18, 19, I was reading everything I could get hold of in my area in that time, which wasn't very much, by the way, that was sort of a different perspective, an Asian perspective, you could say. And then the book Be Here Now came out. And I read not just that book, but his entire book list at the back of the book, right? Every single book on the book list I read. Mm-hmm. So I really dove into this whole thing. And then I started Buddhist practice, which I did for 17 years. And that came with a whole cosmology, a whole belief system in karma and rebirth and all kinds of things that the importance of the death moment that you if you're you know if you're not awake in the death moment then certain types of rebirth can or cannot occur etc all yes. this stuff we believed so so called so in 1982 i had gone to india for about the third time i was with some friends We went to this area called Bihar, a very poor state of India. And there's this town where you took the train. We took a train from Benares to this town called Gaya in order to go to Bodh Gaya, a little village nearby, but a bit of a 
I think it was an hour or so away um, by horse cart, which is how we used to have to travel to get there. Mm-hmm. So we arrive in Gaia, and it's the middle of the night. And we get off the train, and all these people are clamoring for our business to take us where we need to go. And so we would, you know, we'd try to make an arrangement with a particular driver. And as soon as he heard we wanted to go to Bodgaya, he shook his head and backed off and said, no, 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 dakots, dakots. We didn't know what that word meant. We didn't know if it meant the roads closed or what, you know. So we finally found this old man, and he had the most dilapidated jalopy and a horse that looked almost dead. But he was the only one who would agree to take us. So off we go into the night, and it's midnight. Now, it turns out the word dacoits means robbers and thieves and murderers, all of whom are rolling up and down this road that goes to Bodhgaya. And so we, we didn't know any of that in the night, though. Fortunately, we didn't know that bit until the next day. But anyway, so... We're going along, and we're starting to notice that he's having to whip this horse in order to make it go, because it's so tired and ill. And that's starting to feel not so good to us. So now we're, like, getting to be halfway, and now he's really beating this horse, because it just kept stopping, and he'd be having to really whip it. And we didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, we're halfway there now, you know, and so we're just enduring this torture of this animal. And I realized that night that I had no good story to give me any kind of buffer between that experience of being the proximate cause of this animal's suffering. I had, I had no thing I could say to myself. I couldn't say it's the karma of the horse. I couldn't say anything. There was no story. There was nothing. All I could do was feel the situation. And it hurts. It's, it, was, it was shocking how, how painful it was to really experience it raw. Experience the injustice of it experience the pain of it experience, imagine what this horse is dealing with with each lash of this whip and having to pull all this weight and and it's been like this ever since I realized that night I had no belief system that gave me a buffer I had no story and it's it's much harder this way it's more raw but the empathy you feel is more real. So when you use the word compassion, the literal Latin translation of that word is suffering with. Suffering with. Not from some distance of pity that you have a little story saying, oh, it's just their lot. They'll get a better upgrade next time in next life. Or my privilege is based on my merit of former lives. That's really odious to think about, especially if it's just a fantasy. So 
you realize in this way of experiencing, right, that you don't know. You don't know. And therefore you're left with what you are actually directly experiencing, the truth of it, right? And, and that makes for a much ten, more tender heart, in my experience, makes for a lot of tenderness and a lot of honesty and a lot of vulnerability as a human heart, right? But you do know what you've experienced. Mm. Been where I've been, seen what I've seen. Say again? I've been where I've been and seen yes. what I've seen. Yes, exactly. So right. Yeah. And when you speak from that, there's an authority in it. Not that you're trying to be an authority, but there's an authority that comes when you speak from your own direct experience. Yeah. Right. And you can hear, you start to, you're, you're, attention starts to become very finely tuned when you hear someone speaking. You know, Punjaji, my teacher, says it very simply. A true teacher only gives you his or her experience. All the rest are preachers, right? The preachers give you, you know, the old-time religion, what's written in the text, you know, they give you, and the preachers come in all kinds, you know, there's new age preachers, obviously, not just old time religion, but there's a lot of new age preachers around, you know. Sure. <laughs> but a real teacher is only going to talk to you about what they actually experience, so, and a real friend in terms of, if you want to just talk about sharing heart to heart, that, that's what they are sharing. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 20. I just turned 20. You just turned 20. Yeah. Cool. Lovely. So. Very lucky to be 20 and interested in these matters. Yeah. You know? I can't um, work out answers. <laughs> Only questions. So give me a question. A question is... What's your real question, actually? My real question... Um, do we all make this up in our own mind? Okay, so let's ask a question that is really your question. Yeah. Because I can't, we can't, none of us can speculate what all of us are doing. Yeah. But what is your, here you are, mm -hmm. 20 years old, young yeah. man, living in Byron Bay. Yeah. What is your theme in your life right now what is your burning my, my theme is different messages I guess. but I guess what is, what is it you're like are you searching for something are you wondering about something are you is it best to wait for stuff to come out of the blue or take rain and action Hmm. So I'll answer from my own experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's sometimes when it's time to stop and to wait for what you might call the pull, 
right? Okay. To be attracted like a magnet. Mm. So there are times, there's times for that. And then there's times for rolling up the sleeves and getting really creative with something. You have a vision of something or you have an idea or you want to help out um, in some circumstance. And that takes effort and energy. And that you find yourself rolling out toward that. But again, in the deep quiet in which you can sit as your general space, these pulls and and attractions become very, and, and also need to stop, they become very, very clear. And so you start to rely on your own system to tell you if there's a time to pull, or to be pulled, or a time to push, right? Often you can wait for the pull if, 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 if you're just um, content, Yeah. right? You wait for a pull to do this or that. To no extent am I ever content 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there could be moments of being content 100%. And that's the recommendation as well, to really let moments, like my mother had this morning, mm. looking at the sea of glass, just quiet, right? where there's nothing much else going on, just really experiencing being. Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult. Uh, yeah, life's difficult. If it... If it uh, Life has a lot of bumps in the road, definitely. Yeah. It does. Life has a lot of hardship. Do you th recommend to focus on the good times, not the bad times, and try and forget about, even though you can't really forget, try and forget, not dwell on the past? Yeah, I, I would recommend not dwell on the past and to really seize the day and to really enjoy your life, right? I know that you've heard this from older people probably a lot, but, you know, to be 20 years old, you know, and have, a, you know, a strong, healthy body and be young and have tremendous energy and creative juices running and uh, it's very, very, it's a great time of life, great. And often it's, we miss it. I mean, almost everyone I know was suffering all through their 20s and 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we miss it. And you look back at photographs of yourself and you think, you think, gosh, I wish I'd known. I would have been having a lot more fun with all that bounty that one had at the time. But, you know, it's very common developmentally that people in their 20s are still sort of working out with who am I and who I'm in the world and kind of ego needs and all of those things. But given that you have come to this room, you could take a little shortcut if you want and really let yourself truly enjoy in what even if just a moment here and there, right? Yeah. Where you don't where you don't where nothing else is needed. Right? 
You don't need a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you don't need some kind of rec recognition from some other body or a group of people. You don't have to be on a stage. All of those things, just a moment here and there in your day where you just go, wow, nice to be alive. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is great to be alive. <laughs> This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype and see my schedule of upcoming events, such as our spectacular retreats in October of 2018 in Italy or in New Zealand in May of 2019. If you're a regular listener, please consider making either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation in any amount that is comfortable for you. Till next time.